Welcome to the About Sex Podcast. I'm Joshua Skirtu, and with me, as always, is my lovely wife, Angela Skirtu. Hi! Hi! <laughs> Good and to see you. And with us today is Roshna. Roshna, what's your last name now? Roshna. Roshna. <laughs> I'm bad at names. Roshna. Roshna Goyal. Roshna Goyal. Cool. All right, and let me read you. your little bio. So, Roshna has focused her career on working with children and families. She holds a passion for helping individuals attain justice through the legal system. Her experience includes work at a university health law clinic, multiple legal aid offices, and the prosecutor's office. And today we're actually talking about Jane Doe Advocacy Center, correct? Yes. All right, so I'm going to give this back to you in case you want to read stuff. Yay. Tell us all about the Jane Doe Advocacy Center. Sure, and I why love it's to- awesome. <laughs> I love talking about Jane Doe. So, cool. Jane Doe Advocacy Center, we call it Jane Doe for short, is a legal service center here in St. Louis for survivors of sexual violence. So, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Because that's a whole lot of really big sounding words. Yeah. So, well, there could be a lot of different ways people could suffer for sexual violence, right? Exactly. So, like, what are the types of clients that would come to you? So the the types of clients that come the most often are people who have been sexually abused by someone they know, usually mm-hmm. by a spouse, a romantic partner, mm-hmm. someone they share children with, someone that they're connected to in some way. Mm-hmm. And then they have legal issues that result from that. So some of our most common clients are people with issues that end up in family court. So they've mm-hmm. been abused by a spouse and they need to get divorced or they've been abused by a co-parent who they're not married to and now they have some Mm -hmm. child custody issues to deal with as they as they separate so tell me correct me if i'm wrong but there's kind of a statistic like so it's actually more common to suffer from abuse from a family member or a close friend than it is a stranger correct it is i I don't know the statistic offhand i don't know what it is it's it's like it's (laughs) it's, i just know it is a thing you know it It is a thing and i would venture to say it's most cases of sexual abuse happen by by somebody you know it's actually Mm. very rare to be abused by a stranger, yeah. but the stranger cases, because they're so rare, mm-hmm. end up getting a lot of media attention and a right. lot of focus. they're really tragic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, so they're all tragic. that's what people end up being the most yeah. afraid of. Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. So, like, how do you help them? <laughs> Save the world, <laughs> That's Rachna. a great question. What are legal services? <laughs> yeah, right? what, does that mean? what does that actually mean? So, whenever a survivor needs to talk to a lawyer, mm-hmm. that's what Jane Doe is here for. So sometimes it's just that they're in a situation, they know that there's legal implications, they don't know what exactly they are, and they Mm -hmm. just need to sit down and have a conversation so they know what to be prepared for. Other times they have an active case in court, whether they filed it or their assailant filed it or something happened and they're like, ooh, I need a lawyer now because there's an active case going on. Mm -hmm. Other times we have people who call who don't really know what they need. And mm-hmm. so it's really a matter of starting with, okay, forget the fact that I'm a lawyer, forget the fact that we do legal stuff. Like, mm-hmm. What are your actual goals? What right. do you need to get out of the situation you're in? And then we see if we can help them get there through the legal system. Give me an idea of a profile. So you don't need to tell me any specific, but like mm-hmm. who's calling you like, I need you, but I don't know why. <laughs> like, what? Who is this person, and what are they confused about? Typically, <laughs> that's a great question. So, 
most so like of, i've never just called a lawyer randomly like <laughs> i think i need you so i'm just teasing well you know i think that's where being a non-profit organization comes in because yeah. okay. then people are like oh this is a non-profit oh okay and okay. so they might offer any type of services because right. non-profits do so many different types of things mm-hmm. so that's when a lot of times they're like well are you a shelter are you a counselor who are you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but our clients are most they're mostly females we do work with men we work with children as mm-hmm. well but our clients most of the time are females they're usually somewhere between the age of like i'd say 25 to 40 give or take okay. so a younger younger approaching middle age and it's when they've been abused over a period of time. That's mm-hmm. usually when they tend to contact us the most and be like, we don't know what to do. Right. The the isolated incidents, they usually know what's going on. You know, they yeah. call and people can say, you know, there's a case pending in criminal court. We have the police report file. There's an investigation going on, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they're seeing if there's anything they can do to follow up on that civilly or to be prepared. Mm-hmm. But it's usually when the <sighs> abuse has been going on over a period of time. Okay. And for a lot of women... They don't speak up when the abuse is just happening against them. But mm-hmm. then when they start to see their children being affected mm-hmm. by it, that's what makes them come mm-hmm. out. And that's what makes them call and essentially say, what can we do? Yeah, I see. They're so, looking for help. Yeah. Well, so what makes you better than other lawyers? <laughs> <laughs> what makes you better than know, other right? lawyers? I'm totally <laughs> teasing. These, like, the hard-hitting awesome? questions, Angela. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just got this halo above my head. <laughs> That's the hard-hitting question. (laughs) We're really going deep here. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know that I'm better or worse than other lawyers. Own it, Rajna. There are some fantastic (laughs) lawyers out there, so Mm -hmm. I can't. I can't just cut it. I have some. I have some great colleagues. (laughs) But what makes us different is that most lawyers focus their careers and their practices on a certain area of law. So Mm -hmm. lawyers might do family law. They might do criminal law. They might do general personal injury law. Mm -hmm. They might do a certain type of law, and then they take their clients on a case-by-case basis that way. Instead, we flip it around and we look at it by issue. So we work with sexual abuse survivors regardless of what their legal needs are. So when I first started Jane Doe, I was really interested in family law. And Mm -hmm. it was the Mm -hmm. domestic sexual violence that most of my experience was in. So that was the vision I started it with. But... Mm -hmm. It took less than a year to realize people have a lot of other legal needs that can mm-hmm. arise from sexual abuse as well like that aren't necessarily family law. So some that we've done, let's see. So we do like our family cases, we do our child cases, and then we do what I call like our grab bag cases, which are the ones that we just <laughs> never anticipated coming up. Yeah. But for example, we once had a landlord-tenant issue. So mm-hmm. we had, a, our client was the mother of a little girl And the little girl is being sexually abused by another older child in the same apartment complex. Mm -hmm. So they filed a restraining order against against that that child to keep Mm -hmm. the kids apart, which was exactly the right thing for her to do. Only then the landlord got upset and tried to evict them for creating ruckus within the residential community. Is that legal? Wait, the victim? (laughs) The victims. Correct. That's, well, like total blame the victim situation. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> you need to get out because you've been abused. Literally right. trying to punish the victim. Right. Like, and, come on. and especially when you're looking at, you know, if, if it's a Section 8 housing, if it's limited ability, if mm-hmm. it's in a really small school district. Mm-hmm. It's already hard to get out of a, Yeah, it's already hard to find a place to live, let alone to have to move randomly because you've been abused. Exactly. It's <laughs> yeah. terrible. Exactly. So, you know, hmm. we had cases like that. We had a couple cases in civil court where people were 
you know, they, they'd already gotten out of abusive relationships, mm-hmm. but then later on down the line as, re- as retaliation, mm-hmm. their former abuser, I guess their abuser, their former spouse mm-hmm. would sue them in civil court for things that could be pretty frivolous, but mm. they still had to fight the lawsuits. Mm-hmm. So things come up all the time. And what we found at Jane Doe is that it's really helpful for people to have access to a lawyer to answer their questions and to know what's going on yeah. and then to make a plan of action going forward. Yeah, because some pu- sometimes people don't even know what they're supposed to do. Like They exactly. don't even know what to sue for. I mean, for. if I weren't a lawyer, I might not know what to do in situations like I that. I never know what to do in general. <laughs> in general, he's in just general. walking around with his hands. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands, yeah. In general. Except when it comes to working the equipment. Oh, oh yeah. I can set these up. <laughs> then I'm done. Then I just sit here. <laughs> well, I wonder if that's why people don't report. Uh, you know, like I always hear that people don't report cases of mm-hmm. abuse or sex abuse. It, do you think some of that has to do with like people just not knowing how to navigate the system? I I absolutely do, especially the criminal system. I think it is so difficult because I think most people... Most people know, okay, something bad happened. I have to call the police. I have mm-hmm. to call 911. I have to file a police report. Yeah, I, I think like, I know that. <laughs> right. That first step is usually pretty intuitive. Yeah. Okay. But then what a lot of people lose sight of after that is that even though they are a victim or a survivor of a crime, they're not necessarily a party to a legal case. They're mm-hmm. a piece of evidence that the state is going to use to try to the get... Per- wait, the person is a piece of evidence? The victim. Yes. Yeah. What? It's yes. not their case. Do they, do they put not... them on a shelf? <laughs> like, that's what they do with the evidence. They store it in a room, right? right. That's what, what you think of, right? I don't. So, yes. I think it's in a bin. So yeah. the person's going to stay the in a bin until in their bin. case? Yeah, okay. exactly. No, no. I can't even joke about that. Yeah. All right. No, no, no. Sorry. No. But let's, let's look at a, a really elementary stereotypical sexual abuse mm-hmm. case. Okay. So you have somebody who has been raped by somebody else. And w- w- this case will go with what's the majority. We'll say there's been a woman who was raped by a man. Okay. Right. So the woman goes to the police and files a police report, gives them all the information. They're going to ask her really probing questions yeah. oh, when wow. it may or may not be in her best interest at that point yeah. to be talking about the details. But yeah. they need the details. Mm-hmm. So they're going to get all this information out of her and then they're going to send her They're going to re-traumatize her pretty much. Yeah, yeah. make it her relive the trauma again yeah. and again yes. and again. So and then they're going to send her home and she might not hear from them for weeks or months or any period of time. Mm -hmm. And that's usually when when I get phone calls of this happened, I filed a police report. Nothing happened. No idea what's going on. Now what? Yeah, exactly. And the process after that really is that the police department, the, the detectives need to go out and investigate see how much other evidence they can collect. They mm-hmm. essentially, they, they put it on a box or a bin. Mm-hmm. They hand it over to the prosecutor. And then the prosecutor has to look at it and decide, you know, at that point, it's not a matter of, matter of determining is this the truth. At that point, it's is there enough evidence here to prosecute somebody with a crime? Right. Is there somebody out there who is a danger not only to this person, but to society at large? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if so, we need to we need to prosecute them. What happens if they don't get enough evidence? Then they can't prosecute the crime usually. So it's just, that's it. Yep. And that's the point where a lot of survivors feel very frustrated because Mm -hmm. if it's one person's word against another, (coughs) you know, that person could be telling the truth. They could be telling the absolute truth about exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. And they they don't always know what's out there that could prove it. Well, what kind of evidence, I mean... 
would you look for or what would you want the cops to be looking for? Like in case, you know, in case ever somebody's in that situation, what should be they be collecting or giving to the cops? I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. how does this how does this whole thing work? How can they as a victim help? <laughs> yeah. Advocate the for themselves. Off the investigation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a better way of asking yeah. it. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> so I wish I, I were <laughs> I wish I were a criminal attorney so I could get into like so much detail about yeah. this. But from what I know, kind of the things that, that most people can keep in mind mm-hmm. is the first thing is to report as soon as you can. Yeah. And even if it's been a while, you can always still file a police report. Mm-hmm. So is it better to file it immediately? Yes, it, it always is. If it's not immediate, does that mean you can't file it? No, it absolutely doesn't. You can still go you can still go in and file a police report. Mm-hmm. Um, keeping anything that might have some DNA evidence on it. So the clothing that you're wearing when something happens, um, sheets on a bed, rugs on a floor, anywhere where DNA evidence may be found, keeping that and not washing it, not trying to get get rid of the evidence. Well, not maybe taking a shower right after something happened. So you can go in and get, I mean, isn't there like a rape rape kit? kit? To do a rape kit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So stuff like that will help preserve the really <clears throat> obvious, mm-hmm. more scientific evidence. But mm-hmm. other times, I mean, there's always stuff around that mm-hmm. they might be able to tap into. There could be surveillance cameras. There could be oh. um, somebody making a recording in the next room that may pick something up. I mean, mm-hmm. you just never know what they may be able to find. So it's a matter of just making sure you keep everything as preserved as possible, which is a lot easier said than done. Yeah, you well, and in that moment, you're shocked and traumatized, so it's kind of hard to think logically at that point. Right, and preserving evidence for a criminal trial is the last thing on your mind. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure when something happens. Mm-hmm. It's generally the last thing on my mind in general. Just yeah. in general. Uh, preserving <laughs> evidence? Yeah. Well, no wonder you're getting in trouble all the time, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you should be on camera right now? <laughs> No pictures. <laughs> we just need to put surveillance cameras all around the house. <laughs> no, nothing's crazy. But no, I mean, like, I couldn't imagine being in that situation. And, like, that's the last thing you're thinking about. You're like, holy shit. Oh, my. Oh, I'm not supposed to cuss. But <laughs> we try to avoid cussing. But, like, that is how you would feel in that moment, right? Yeah. <laughs> we exactly. try to keep it PG so families can listen. You're so PG. <laughs> I am. I am. Yeah. Okay. Well, so then what kinds of things... All right, so one thing that was on your page is that you do coaching services. Why don't you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, so most people are like, well, will you tell me, when you think about working with a lawyer, what what kind of comes to your mind? Money. Yeah, money. money. Too much money. <laughs> I'm going to give them money and then they're going to do things for me. Yeah. Okay, that's a, that's a great oh, okay. way to put it. So you're yeah. going to give them all your money. <laughs> yes. And they're going to do a couple things for you in okay. return. And right? they're going right. to charge you for every email and phone call. <laughs> right. Right. It's going to be so, very expensive. That's what most people oh, think gosh. about when they think of a typical attorney-client relationship. Yeah. Sure. They think, you know, the client is paying a retainer and then they're paying mm-hmm. an hourly rate. Right. And the attorney is doing all the legwork and mm-hmm. they're charging for all of it. Right. And it's true. That's how legal services work. That's how lawyers and make their money. it can get money. expensive, yeah. It can get expensive. And what I found with survivors is that a lot of times it can make them feel like they're losing control. Mm-hmm. Because, oh. I mean, they have complete control over their case at all times because the way that the Missouri rules of ethics work for lawyers, clients make the decisions. Mm-hmm. So a survivor is in charge of making all the decisions. They have to agree to everything that's agreed to. 
They have to know all their options. It's always mm-hmm. informed consent every time something happens in court. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it, if you are a smart, educated person, if you feel like this lawyer isn't really doing anything I couldn't do, you know, I can go into a courtroom. I can talk to a judge. I can send emails. I can request records. I can do all these things. Mm-hmm. Then a lot of times they're, they sit there feeling helpless, like mm-hmm. somebody else is doing everything and they don't have any control. Mm-hmm. So we totally ran across this by fluke once when a client came in who had an order of protection or a restraining order hearing coming up. And this was when I was the only lawyer in the office. I was already booked on the day of her hearing mm-hmm. and it was in two separate counties. So there was just no way for me to be in two places at once. And she was like, no, I don't want to continue it. I don't want to postpone it. I need to do this. I can do it. I just need to know what to do. So she did. She came into my office and we spent about an hour doing law school 101. (laughs) Where I talked her through exactly how a hearing would work, what she should be prepared to say, what she should be prepared to present. We went through all of her evidence. We labeled it. And essentially taught her how to do the hearing on her own. Oh, wow. And then she went in against another lawyer and she won. Wow. Herself. Good for her. Good for you, yeah. too. Well, and just the sound <laughs> in her voice after that, it, to- it, 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 it gave me this whole new idea. Because she had confidence and felt like, I can do this. She had felt <laughs> in yes. control. Yes. Yeah. And... The, that confidence she had had nothing to do with the restraining order, order that she'd just gotten. It mm-hmm. was, I went up against him and a lawyer, <laughs> and I did it without a lawyer. All I had was a little paper folder you gave me, <laughs> and we did it. So after Good. that experience, we started digging into it more, and now we do our formal coaching program for people in any legal situation. That's awesome. So, okay. we do it so they can do it themselves. They still pay you for the coaching, mm-hmm. and then they go do this stuff. Exactly. Huh. But the fees end up being significantly lower, and you mm-hmm. put it on our sliding fee scale, and it ends up being even lower than that. Mm-hmm. And What? A sliding fee scale? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Tell me more. <laughs> well, Jane Doe, we are a nonprofit organization. Yeah. Our goal is to make sure that legal services are available to anybody regardless of mm-hmm. income. So one of my favorite things is when we tell people over the phone, oh, we have a sliding fee scale. And they say, yeah, I never qualify for those because I have a job. I work full time minimum wage. I never qualify for the sliding fees. Mm-hmm. They come in, they do our application. They find out, oh, my gosh, I do qualify That's good. because we make our scale very broad because people out there you know, we don't just have the people in poverty and the people out of poverty. Yeah. There are mm-hmm. lots of different layers. A lot of people fall of right on Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, right. even if you are making a full, full-time full minimum wage, isn't that great? Yeah, maybe no. you're making money, but I mean, I don't know if it's that much over like welfare amount. <laughs> no, you have two kids, you're already under the line. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. no, exactly. that makes perfect sense. And if you're about to split and like really the income was from the husband or sometimes the abuser, then you're even mm-hmm. in a worse situation. I have women, like from my side, I have women who are scared to leave because they don't feel like they have any financial rights. They don't know that Missouri is a 50-50 state. Not that that protects against everything, but even knowing that like, no, you will get some of this income when you guys divorce is helpful for some of the women in my office to know. Or that there is a place they can go at least where they don't have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars because they're already afraid to divorce this guy, right? It terrifies me sometimes. The stories I hear people come in uh, and they need a, they need a new lawyer in the middle of a case. Mm-hmm. You know they're 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 not jiving with their old lawyers. So they come in and they tell me how much they've spent in like a divorce case that's gone almost nowhere so far, just in the preliminary stages. And they say they've they they've you know they've scooped out fifteen twenty thousand dollars already. What? Yeah. And I'm like that. 
is probably like sounds like four divorce five is way times too expensive. as expensive as the most expensive case I've ever done. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Well, and think of how's it that expensive? Like think of some of you know like I think of people of who are kind of like manipulative. So sometimes somebody who's very abusive is very manipulative, and so they'll use a court case to essentially manipulate the other person and drag the court case out and keep going back like i've heard so something i learned about this year was um high crisis divorces or like it's they're basically high conflict where they just it's not your typical divorce or even your long-term litigation divorce that like ends maybe in two to three years it's one where you are you were married to somebody who really was just a plain jerk. I don't know. <laughs> That's the <laughs> clinical term. And clinical. Um, yeah. And he's gonna keep messing with you for the rest of your life. Like keep taking you back again and again and again. And it's it's not like a high percentage. Maybe but he there should get is, a hobby. Come on. There's a percentage of divorces that are like that. Right. And these yeah. women will come to me because they're just emotionally overwhelmed by like yeah. constantly having to go back to court again and, I'm and sure again. financially too yeah. yeah do you have cases like this at times we do yeah we do and they are some of the most frustrating oh I say yeah that because i mean our whole goal is to help people get to a place of long-term safety and recovery where mm-hmm. they can have something yeah. done and move forward like have a good life and stuff exactly yeah. <laughs> And especially, especially in family <laughs> yes. court, especially in family court, a lot of work goes into making sure that things are set in a way that they can last. Like mm-hmm. when you put together a parenting mm-hmm. plan for kids, I always do it in a way that I make sure, okay, we need to cover everything until this kid turns 18 and then goes to college or trade school or wherever they might be going afterwards. So mm-hmm. you can be done and not come right. back to court. But some people will do it every every year, every couple of years, as, as frequently as they can. Yeah. They'll go back to court and they'll file to change something or they'll file a new case. And, and they can most, just keep suing them as long because they have a shared child together. So correct. they can bring them to court anytime they want they over that. They can do it. And what most people yeah. don't yeah, get. Yeah, they can. Um, I had a talk with my brother about this just recently and even he was shocked mm-hmm. that you can file... A court case against anybody. Angela, sure. I, could go, I could go in and sue you We could today. go sue Donald Trump today. <laughs> and actually, it's a tactic. Why me? It's or a Trump. tactic people. Uh, Trump, I understand. <laughs> well, it's a tactic some people use to hurt other people. They just yeah, keep suing is. them, and then it they is. have to build up legal fees. Well, that's what I'm that's saying. That's how big companies like Microsoft or I mean, I have Google can beat you. I go in and sue you for something you. completely ridiculous that never actually happened. <laughs> and but just because there's a case out there, then suddenly, I mean, like for me you in my field, it. I have to fight it. But even yeah. in my field, like to have a case put against me is something can that can already like put my license on hold, or like yeah. right. I have to like talk about like that means every time that I reapply for my license because we we well, like don't get give a people research. No, no, no. Please don't sue me. I try to make you guys happy. But I'm not perfect, you know? Nobody's perfect. You're perfect. But the the thing people don't get is you still have to fight against that case. You still have to deal with all those consequences. Just because the case is frivolous, Mm -hmm. it doesn't automatically get thrown out. Mm -hmm. And that's why these abusers can keep taking their survivors back to court. Because Mm -hmm. they can. They have Mm -hmm. the legal grounds. They make up the legal grounds to do so. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, they're back in court. Mm-hmm. Are you like making funny faces at each other? You I did. I don't know what she's doing. <laughs> he kept moving the mic and he's done it 50 times. You can stop doing that. It's I'll fine. move the mic all I want. I can move it up here. You don't need to do it. It, it looked like here. a nervous tick. And I'm like, we're on the It is right a here, nervous babe. tick. Stop, it's fine. But <laughs> I tried to do Nobody it discreetly, it. but it didn't work at all. So we might as well get right out in the Wait, open. My husband keeps moving the mic and m- I wanted to tell him My wife is never discreet. 
That I'm is also something never that's discreet. True, I never, I'm never discreet. It's the least discreet person <laughs> I've ever met. That's not the word I would use to describe. It's no, like you would never really say. Out and in your face. She would never be a good spy at all because <laughs> she walks well, in and everybody how notices. You know I'm honest. Right I've got an honest face, and even when I you're am not like honest, trying you're to be lying. nice, that's what she wants no. us to think. Anyway. Oh yeah, you're totally honest. <laughs> even when I am being nice, you can see it on my face that I'm struggling with something. <laughs> now I've just gotten more out with it with clients. You know, I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna be honest. I hate that this is the truth, but this is gonna be bad for you, and mm-hmm. I just, I just put it out there. And you know what I've learned? Professionals who do that were apparently very rare. We're yeah. just very blunt and honest. And People say, you know what? love this it. Sucks, but this is the reality, and mm-hmm. you just let's figure mm-hmm. out how to let's work figure out how to it. deal with this reality. Yeah. No, I think clients really like and value that deep honesty because honestly, they don't want you to be nice to them. They already know what's going on. Friends they already know their case don't sucks. Like it as much. Friends and family <laughs> do not. You no, do need don't. to be fr- nice to your friends That's and family. That's a whole different podcast. No, <laughs> I, I'm blunt with everybody, and it he does is, not always sometimes work. Sometimes it's not always great to be blunt. But on the show, it works really well. Sure. <laughs> I love you, babe. This love is you. so much fun. We're having too much fun. Yeah, we're having too much, much fun for abuse. I think no, we need to like no. get back on. No, we're, we're, the show is meant to be playful too, but it is hard to be playful about abuse. Right. I will be fair because it no, it's a serious topic and we do want to take it seriously. Sure. Um. So what else do we need to know about this? <laughs> I know, bad. right? I went to like humor. Yeah, so I, I had a question. So on your okay, uh, you questionnaire. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got you. So you mentioned non-domestic sexual violence. There's a lack of legal and advocacy service for that. What is that, non-domestic sexual violence? That's great. And I think, I don't know if that's an official term. I coined it myself back Mm -hmm. when I first started Jane Doe. And there are some advocates out there who hate me for it. I'm going to be totally open about that. They hate you for it? Why? Why Because, so there's this term out there, domestic violence, right? We We hear it a lot. There's a There are a lot of different organizations that work on it. Uh, Yeah. But here's the thing. We have a bunch of social services that are defining domestic violence differently than the legal system does. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's for a myriad of reasons. I think I think grant funding has to do with most of it in terms of what people are actually funded to cover and then what they mm-hmm. can call it. Mm-hmm. But the disconnect is that most places that do domestic violence focus on intimate partner violence. Mm-hmm. And there are some exceptions to that. So I can't, you know, politically correct. I can't make sure, I can't say every organization that does domestic violence is only focused on intimate partners. But a lot of them are. Yeah. So we have a legal system that defines domestic violence much more broadly. It's not just intimate partners. Mm-hmm. It's family members. Sometimes it could be roommates or people who live with you. Josh is taking away my mic. He doesn't like what I'm saying. Uh, no, he's just very, he loves sound just to be good. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Go on. Yeah. Cool, cool. So, so, we, so we have, you know, one different definition of domestic violence that's very narrow. Then we have another one that's very broad. Yeah. And people don't always know which category they fall into. Yeah. And when they fall into one for legal purposes and then one for social service purposes, how confusing is that? Yeah. It's very confusing. The, yeah. the the question that that was posed to me back when I first started Jane Doe is, what do you do? What do you do if you are sexually abused, but mm-hmm. it is not by somebody you are domestically related to? It's by like a friend or an acquaintance, which we already yeah. talked about is some of the most popular, one of the most common types. Yeah. What do you do about that? And I thought about it and I said, you know what? Well, you wouldn't qualify for any of these intimate partner services so there was just this whole gap in the nonprofit Mm. sector in terms of where can these survivors go to get help 
Okay. And as a lawyer, that just irked me so much. I just, I hate that. I hated that. You don't want anybody falling through the gaps. And there's plenty of people who have that experience. So yeah, I mean, that's a whole group of people that need help that have nowhere to go. Exactly. Hmm. And then you tie in the fact that most nonprofits work with the lower income population. They don't Mm -hmm. always work with all survivors and you have a huge gap. So we we try to fill that gap. And I always try to make it very, very clear to people that we work with survivors, whether it's considered domestic violence or not, because Mm -hmm. that non those non-domestic violence survivors need to know that they have they have a place to go for help, too. Yeah, they still need help. I see. So non-domestic, meaning not in the home, but like a close by, I mean, friend or anybody else, a friend, an acquaintance, a stranger, anything that's not domestic. You know, a lot of what I've seen is that um, in those cases, it'll be like people who come to the house often. There'll be friends or like friends of like the mom or friends of the dad or like, um, you know, like just somebody who's frequenting the house often. Um, but they're not quite a family, a family member. Yeah. yeah. And then it, it seems to be like the case, you know, like they're already there. They're already a safe person, it well, seems. And then they're not, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And I, I would th- I would think in your field, the same thing would come up with people who are abused by people in positions of authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because of the people who, I mean, you're trained to follow them, to listen to them. They're the leaders mm-hmm. and you trust them. You know, I, I, I want to know what your opinion is on this, but I will say that some of my hardest cases were cases where a woman is married to a lawyer <laughs> <laughs> and the lawyer, lawyers, I mean, you guys do hold a bit of power and that you have knowledge. You have right. knowledge of the legal system. It's like system. being married to a therapist. It's like being married to a therapist <laughs> who has and a lot of knowledge of social and life skills. When you're skills. talking about relationships, <laughs> they seem to have one up on you when it comes yes, to Yes, yeah. yes. And so some of, some of my... Uh, I'd say hardest and almost scariest cases have been ones where the the partner is a lawyer and the the wife is just so scared to even say anything or do anything because she's worried about the ramifications mm-hmm. of divorcing a lawyer. Yeah. What are your thoughts on on divorcing this situation? a lawyer? <laughs> How does one divorce a lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, I will never personally have to talk to yeah. you about this. Definitely. But it's hard. I'm and I'm just kind of trying to think through my head. I don't know that I've had any cases where we had a survivor who was married to a lawyer, but we have had some where survivors were married to police officers. Oh, okay. So, so we're going to have a similar thing. dynamic there. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It oh, is wow. very hard because, I mean, the legal community, I'm sure it's the case of the mental health community too, it's tight-knit. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone knows Everybody knows everyone. everyone. Um, every, the lawyers all know the judges. The judges know the lawyers. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just a professional relationship, there's still some rapport happening there. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to take a lawyer to court and accuse them of something. Yeah. You know, if it's a mutual divorce, if they're going to agree to it, if they both agree, yes, the marriage is over. Yeah. Then I can imagine that it would be just then fine. fine right? yeah. It might even be easier if someone knows what to do and if they trust each other enough yeah, to sure. go that route. But when, when abuse gets involved, it would be very, very difficult to make that happen and to ever feel like you're getting a fair shake in court. Because yeah. you walk in, you know, the, they might know other people in the courtroom. They might know the court reporter. They might know the judge. It's going to be difficult. Yeah. That must be tough. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is. It is tough. But it's not undoable. It's not undoable. Not undoable. Yes. You're capable undoable. of getting it through that. It can be done. It's yeah. doable. Okay. 
There it we go. can be done. <laughs> <laughs> it's not undoable. It's doable. Oh, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Play on words. <laughs> words. You cannot not communicate. And so what our first lesson in therapy was, was like, uh, the double negative. <laughs> Just means you're always communicating with right. your hands and your body. It's not a barrier. And your you face. Can, you can overcome it. You can do it. <laughs> You can do it. That's our PSA for today. You can do it. Divorce him or her. (laughs) No, I'm also a marriage advocate. I just want to put it out there. Unless they're being abused. Um, Yeah, I mean, well, I always say this, that like I'm a marriage advocate, except in cases where um, like mental health um, is at stake. And so mental health, health. personal, mental and physical Mm -hmm. health can trump a marriage. Um, but mm-hmm. I always am an advocate for marriage because most people come to me because they want help, you know? So if you come to me, my first goal is going to help you guys be kinder to each other. And even in cases of intimate partner violence, I have worked with people who have some violence, but I will say my best cases in that situation is where both people have readily admitted that they have crossed lines when mm-hmm. it comes to the fights that they've gotten violent. It's usually a little easier if they're both violent i know that sounds wild but like because they're both kind of recognizing that they have emotional dysregulation problems then they're both owning it and willing to do something about it and in those cases i'm absolutely willing to help you guys come up with ways to calm down and think before you act and when it comes to arguments but i will say it's harder when it's when it's a case where it's really an intense abuse situation and it's a little bit more extreme and one partner is very frightened and the other partner doesn't even know that the partner is basically wanting to end the relationship. Mm-hmm. And those mm-hmm. are the cases where I usually actually send them to you and then get like death threats later on the phone. <laughs> 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 we shouldn't be laughing about that, and yet you we're joke, laughing about that. You, you have we joke, but threats. I have gotten one. And I, I bought you pepper spray. He bought me pepper spray after. He's like, "You need to be safe." And I was like, "Well, it's not always the it's case." On top but when of the it fridge. does, I do want to protect people. You know. Mm-hmm. So have you? Oh, I wonder. Is that an okay thing to ask? Have you ever gotten like threats on the phone for like? I mean, because you're doing work with violence and you know, stuff. I'm trying to think. I don't think I have. Knock no. on wood. Not, uh, yeah, like yet. today well, it's gonna happen. <laughs> I haven't, and I've never really been afraid of it because the one thing I've noticed is that when when an abuser has abusive tendencies, it's because they are mad at the victim or at yeah. the survivor. Yeah. It's they're not usually angry with me. Or yeah. I mean they don't like me, don't get me wrong. Sure. Especially especially if we go to court and if the case goes to trial, they hate me. Mm-hmm. But but I'm not usually the one that their aggression is targeted toward. Right. Mm-hmm. And the last person you want to target is a lawyer or a cop. Like Yeah, it's probably like they work in the legal system. They're gonna take you down right away. Like really, (laughs) come on. You don't threaten a lawyer. Well, and I want to be fair. Nothing's been followed through with. I mean, I'm alive. Wait, (laughs) wait, they didn't kill you? Nobody killed Uh, me. And I I think they were empty threats too. I just think somebody was mad in a situation, and so they wanted to target it somewhere. But I don't. Yeah, they were just nobody ever was really gonna follow through. To my, I hope. Please don't. Please don't kill me, guys. I really don't want to (laughs) die. I really like my life. <laughs> Fine, they won't kill you. The more you know. But it is, it, it is something to be to be to think about when when thinking about your client's safety. You're silly yeah, yeah, sure. If, if you know that the aggression is going to be geared toward them, it mm-hmm. is something to tread lightly about. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I'm not just here to protect myself. Mm-hmm. No, no. I have to make sure that I'm not riling up some extra anger that's going to be taken out on, right. on my client later either yeah. absolutely we always do safety planning which i don't know i mean do you guys do a little bit of safety planning too with jane doe not a whole lot i mean we're lawyers we're not social you're service not people, therapists so we're yeah. not really qualified to do that 
But we always always touch on it a little bit, especially about the big things. So, you know, it's like, okay, well, next time this happens, let's talk about some things you can do. Mm -hmm. Or if if it comes to the point where I think they need a real safety plan, I send them off to a counselor or to a a, a caseworker or somebody who can help them do it in more detail. That's good. Okay, cool. Well, any other thoughts or questions, babe? No, I think Wow. Do you have anything, any final things you want people to know about Jane Doe? Like if anybody's listening... Just things that are important for them to like either for how to contact you or, you know. Absolutely. So, <laughs> whatever you want to say. Well, well, the one thing I You're always so good at questions, like to Daniel. tell people. I'm good at this, right? Is there anything Do you have things to say? To say? Do you have things? No, I'm just trying to wrap it up here in a no, nice I know. way. <laughs> I love you. You're crazy. I love you too. So continue. What's your message? So the thing I always want people to know is that... There is help out there and you shouldn't be afraid to ask for it. Yeah. So Good. at least as far as Jane Doe is concerned, give us a call. When you call us, you're going to talk to one of our lawyers. You can go on our website, read a bunch of stuff about kind of what's going on. You can schedule phone appointments with lawyers, but call and get your questions answered. What's the because, website and number? Oh, of course. <laughs> the website is www.janedoeadvocacy.org. Easy. Or if you are in Missouri and you want to just give us a call, the number is 314-329-5339. But yeah, call, get your questions answered. If we can't help you, we're going to tell you and we're going to we're going to direct you to a place that can help you That's based good. on what you need. Yeah, so, sometimes awesome. people don't even know what they need. Exactly. Like, do I need a lawyer? Even if you just need, need direction, a... yeah. call them. Wait, exactly. like how do I get to how do I get St. Louis to... downtown? <laughs> like Oh, in that case, I'll just tell questions. you to download Waze or Google yeah. Maps. Google Maps. What are you talking about? I use that to get oh my goodness, morning. right? <laughs> that works. And I just wanted to put in my plug. Of course, if ever you need therapy, go to www.therapistinstlouis.com. I have my book coming out this January. It's called Helping Couples Overcome Infidelity, a Therapist Manual. Mm-hmm. But all my books I write easily for both therapists or people, like regular people or in the population. People. And most of my clients will read my book. So like, yeah. They're totally easy to read if you want to check it out. Oh, yeah, I they're can great reads. That. You gave me one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's pretty easy yeah, read, pretty right? Easy read. Yeah. yeah, you feel like you can be a therapist I didn't now. Feel, I didn't feel stupid. Like, there was yeah, like no, no, I, I really that. made it. I, I like them to be reader friendly regardless oh, yeah. of who's listening. And <laughs> yeah, Cool. That's awesome. And then, of course. <laughs> and you can always find us at aboutsexpodcast.com. And please review us on iTunes and subscribe. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you.